looking back over this year, does anybody remember the prophetic word, the theme word for this year that we began with in January? Anybody remember? Blessed, period. Not blessed, but, not blessed and, blessed, or blessed, period. Wow, what a year it has been. We are living, as Pastor Andrew and I have been declaring, it's an extraordinary season of an open heaven. I did, speaking of Pastor Andrew, I thought he did an incredible job last Sunday in the Word. And, and I, I always watch the services, and if I'm where I can, I'll watch them live. Sometimes on the other side of the world, I have to watch them the next day. But I was able to watch the services live because they were in the morning. And I also watch our other services. And the Wednesday nights have been off the chain, haven't they? If you are missing that, wow. Otto Kelly, this past Wednesday night, uh, treasure people. Treasured people, treasure people. I, I, I really love that word. The Wednesday night before, Victor didn't even get to do his assignment. Spirit of the Lord moved in and, and he felt led to go in a different direction. He's coming back to, to finish that assignment. But man, just Wednesday night after Wednesday night, there has been such a rich word that has been so beneficial and so helpful to, to me. To me. I'm in this journey too. And you never reach the point where you say, okay, I got that taken care of. I'm good. No, man. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Just look at somebody and say, don't ever stop pressing. Would you do that? Never. But it has been an amazing year. We're in a series as we are wrapping up the year and we've had different guests, and so I haven't been able to finish the series just yet. Uh, but uh, the series is entitled Purposes, Plans, Problems, and the Pursuit of God. Purposes, Plans, Problems. God has purposes. He has plans. I believe everything God made, He has a purpose for. And I also believe He has a plan for each one of us. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 29 and 11. But there is an enemy, so there are problems too. And in the middle of all of this, our focus is the pursuit of God. And as we approach the Christmas season, and just if I can say this, wow, how did that slip on us so fast? It seemed like we just put up the decorations from last year. Amen. Somebody said it like this. I always knew when I was younger that someday I would get old. I just didn't expect it to happen this fast. <laughs> Anybody relate? Some of you young folk out there are saying, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Trust me, you will. Amen. It's just like, whoom, and then life is flying by. Like you're looking out the window of SpaceX or something. Well... God has a plan for us, and unfortunately, the enemy's assignment is to try to disrupt that. And we literally see that because God has a plan for the world because he made the world. And I began to feel the need after what happened in October, on October 7, 
in the Middle East to talk about that component of it because it's clear the enemy is trying to wreak as much havoc in God's plan for the world as he possibly can. So, so I talked about what time is it and looked at it from the scriptural perspective. We're in Hanukkah right now. Does anybody in this building know what Hanukkah represents? Just so you, yeah, a few of you do. Just so you can kind of see where I was coming from. Hanukkah occurred 200 years before Christ when the Jewish people were able to defeat the Greeks, rededicate the temple 200 years before Christ. That's 2,200 years ago. And they lit a, a menorah that was had enough oil to last just for a, a, a few hours at most. And it ended up burning miraculously for eight days. I think they said enough oil to last for an hour. I can't remember exactly what it was, but but that's how long the Jews have been in that part of the world. But you see, if you don't know history, then you look at what's going on and you think that what you read in the news is the whole sum total of everything that's happening. No, there's something going on. And I felt the need to cover that from the biblical perspective. But then I followed it up with the, the fact that this past September, we began, just two and a half months ago, we began the Jewish New Year. Ours is rolling up in just a few weeks, January 1, but theirs began in September, and uh, we are in the Jewish year 5784. Pastor Andrew followed that up last week. I talked about the prophetic significance of that, and one of those things was open doors, and Pastor Andrew came back and just killed it last week by talking about open doors. Now, if we're really living in the, the times in which the Bible describes the events at the end of the age as unfolding and nobody knows how long that will take to unfold or where we are, and we're not supposed to try to determine those kind of things. We are to live and occupy every day, occupy Jesus said, until I come. And that was actually a military term. Like the Roman army went in and occupied territory they had conquered. We, the church, are to occupy. And we are to influence our societies and culture. But uh, if we're living in those times, which seems to be the case with everything happening in the Middle East and all the other stuff going on, then I think today that my subject and what I want to talk about, uh, talk about may be one of the most important things that I've ever shared with this congregation. I can tell you this in terms of personal keys. Keys are my thing. Y'all don't know this about me. A few of you do. I go around and I, I find keys everywhere. Not intentionally. I just look down, there's a key. And it's kind of a little thing that God has with me, keys. And I'll, you know, just be, you know, open a drawer in my office. There's a key I've never seen before. Uh, somebody probably put it there, but, and, you know, it's really strange. Someone began to notice that, and they found uh, a, a round, almost like a globe, that it's made entirely of keys that are welded together. And I've got it in my office. That speaks to me. Because I think the future of... Your success, your destiny, your purpose in life depends upon 
the keys of the kingdom of God and you learning those, seeking those out, and then using those keys to move through the successive stages that you must go through to fulfill your purpose in the earth. And one of the primary keys in my life is a, I discovered it years ago. I don't know that um, Jerry will remember it, but I hadn't been saved long. And, and there was a book written by a monk in a monastery and he wrote the book in 1692. Now, just so that you'll know, that was before I was born. You young people look at me like, oh, you were alive back then? No, I wasn't. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. And the author of the book was Brother Lawrence. It changed my life. And I'm going to share with you some things today that I think are particularly important. The book of Revelation is often called the book that... Is, has the greatest bearing on eschatological understanding. Eschatology, study of the last days. And so it seems to be really pertinent or relevant in the times in which we live. A lot of people are talking about the book of Revelation. And I want to read from Revelation 3, verse 20, beginning, Behold, this is Christ speaking, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice... And opens a door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I want you to see that what he's really talking about is a level of intimate communion. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. That is to reign. That is to be victorious. To have authority. And what you do, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And then this verse that we read throughout uh, these first several chapters of, of Revelation. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then going directly from that into Revelation 4.1. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now I'll get back to these verses in just a few moments. But I'd like for us to pray first. Father, I ask that you would speak to us, enable us to communicate because some of your truths are so incredible and so profound that we struggle with articulation to be able to encapsulate them in words that we can convey to others. Would you speak? Would you help me hide behind the cross? And you be prominent in everything that is done. Deliver this word to your people. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Come on, one more time. Pray Amen. I want to briefly look <clears throat> at the seven churches, the seven letters, I should say, to the seven churches of Asia that are contained in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. These were seven actual historical congregations. They're located now in what is the modern-day country of Turkey. And if you've ever visited, you can actually go to the ruins of these churches. They still exist. They were magnificent, powerful Churches that actually existed, Paul preached in some of them. 
and others of the apostles. Now, in the prophecy that the Lord gave John while he was held on the Isle of Patmos, which is a prisoner island, basically a prison camp off the coast of Turkey, where John was being held by the Roman government, there he saw a vision, and in that vision, God gave him a prophecy that these seven churches, which were seven historical churches, also would represent the seven ages of the church. They were the seven defining periods of the church in its existence throughout time until now. Now, Bible scholars almost unanimously would agree that we're living in the seventh church age at this moment. That's the age of the seventh church, which was Laodicea. And these ages of the church are actually quite easy to identify when you look at church history. There was the age of Ephesus. That was the first church that was mentioned, the letter to the church of Ephesus, where God said that uh, you've left your first love. That literally happened. The first century, the church was vibrant, alive, on fire, passionate for God. And then they got to doing business and God wasn't necessary anymore anymore. They learned how, and God got squeezed out of their programs, and so they became staid, political, and shallow. And then that ushered in another era. For the next 200-plus years, the Roman government initiated a series of 10 different persecutions, and this was represented by the church age that followed the Ephesus age, and that was Smyrna. And it was the persecuted church. And believers were thrown into Colosseums with lions. If you've been to Italy, Rome, seen the Colosseum. There were other amphitheaters. They were made to fight gladiators. They were, they were uh, taken, put in prison. Paul was a part of that before he became the Apostle Paul until his conversion. And then after the Smyrna age, we work our way through a number of church ages all the way through the Dark Ages, through the Reformation, and on through the Philadelphian Church Age, which is the age of the Great Awakenings, and then finally all the way up to the age of Laodicea that we live in now. Now, you may have heard some of this. I've taught on this, but it's been years. The real question that you ought to be asking as you look at these seven churches is what age of the church are we living in right now because the Laodicean church which was the last one is the lukewarm church you're neither hot nor cold and because you're not I'll spew you out of my mouth God said I would rather that you be hot or cold but these churches not only are seven historical churches they represent the seven types of churches that exist right now all seven of them can be found somewhere in this city this morning the last church that is mentioned, the Laodicean church, the one that shut Christ outside, I bet you've even visited a few of those. Amen. I have. And uh, because they exist and because of the fact that that's the prominent spirit of the age in which we live, you can find all kind of believers that believe every church is like that. And they'll make statements like that. Hey, every church is, uh, God's not in church. I don't even believe in church. I, I have my own thing going with God and, and all kind of stuff like that. Well, the first thing I want to tell you is I don't believe every church is like that. 
I don't believe God has gotten squeezed out. And I don't believe people are looking for dead churches either. I, be, I believe people are attracted to an encounter with God. Can I hear somebody say amen? And that's why we take the time to pursue after God here. And secondly, I don't believe God's coming back after a dead church. My understanding of scripture is he's coming back after a church that's alive and on fire and without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. God's coming back after a church that in the middle of adversity has maintained its devotion to him. Oh, I wish that somebody in the building would say, yeah. And just so you'll know, if you're wondering what kind of church you're in this morning, we're trying to be a church that pursues after God with everything in our hearts. Amen. Amen. We don't want to squeeze God out of anything because he is the essence of what church ought to consist of. Church without God will not change one thing in your life. One thing. But when God is there in one moment, he can change everything in your life. Who am I talking to that's about to have a life-changing encounter with God in this place? Amen. But because these seven churches represent not only the seven ages of the church and the seven types of churches that exist, then you can look and you can see that these seven churches are found and pretty easily identified. There's the Smyrna church. Uh, much of the world, which is the persecuted church, that was the second one, much of the world suffers persecution. Go to China, go to India, go to the Middle Eastern countries, and I could continue on and on. Churches are struggling. You and I have the freedom to come here and worship God, on this Sunday morning, but there are many churches like in Iran where they worship underground in houses because they don't have the freedom to worship. And one of the greatest revivals in the world is going on in Iran right now. There is the Pergamos church and that's the compromising church. And and then there is Thyatira, the corrupt church, and and then the Philadelphian church, or the, the the Sardis church, and then the Philadelphian church, and and Sardis is the dead churches. And anybody know anything about dead churches? Y'all ever visited any of those? Amen. Well, I've been to a few. God forbid that we should ever reach that point here. Look at your neighbor and say, "We're not going to let that happen at Inspire Church." Would you do that? Amen. So the question that I would need to ask you about Inspire Church is what kind of church are we? And, and secondly, what kind of church do we want to be? But there's yet another level of meaning. So these are historical churches. They're the ages of the church. But they also represent, uh-oh, watch it now, the kind of believers who assemble in churches on Sunday morning. Because churches are not made up of buildings and mortar and steel and glass. Churches are the people who assemble in these buildings. Which is to say that you can be a Philadelphian believer in a Laodicean church. Or you can be a Laodicean believer in a Philadelphian church. Or any combination thereof. And so the question I need to ask you is... What kind of believer are you? 
You ever ask yourself that? Am I one of those that have kept the fire in my heart burning brightly? Or am I a Laodicean kind of church member who goes to church, but Jesus is left on the outside? Amen. It is these passages of scripture that the Lord has called my attention to this morning. And I want us to look closely at the incredible promise that exists to the church that is going to be present in the last era of time, which is the Laodicean church. Generally speaking, that will be the age at which everything wraps up, the Laodicean age. And and the church of Laodicea, Ephesus, probably the most familiar to all of us because of the verses I've quoted. Ephesus, you've left your first love. Laodicea, I stand at the door and knock. Everybody's heard that. And so Laodicea is known for its passionless and lukewarm Christianity. May God never allow those in this house, never allow me, never allow the leadership of this church to reach the point that we are passionless in our walk with God. If there's anything I want to go crazy about, it's about God. I want to fall head over heels in love with him again and again and again and again. Amen. I really am at a point where I don't care if you think I've lost my mind. I have reached the place I know what is the needed thing in my life. And he is the necessary thing that I am not willing to surrender or let go of. As dark and as grim as the prophecy was concerning Laodicea that, that, that you say you're rich and you don't even know you're poor. And that you say you can see but you're blind. And I stand outside and I knock. I, there's, there's a promise in this that my God, it just, it gets a hold of me. I read it again, Revelation three twenty. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, and I want to say it right now, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're walking through. I don't care what your name is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your failures were. I don't care what your past looks like. Don't let your past keep you from receiving your future. God is standing at the door and knocking and anybody can open. Anybody. And he says, I will come into him and dine with him. I'll be in communion with him and he with me. It's important that we note who has to open the door. If any man will hear my voice and open the door. God's not going to force you into relationship any more than he forced Adam to do right. Or he forced Lucifer to walk the straight path. Even before this world was created, we are given the prerogative to choose our own way. And I don't know if I'm in the right place. I think I am where I can say this and it will resonate with you. But as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. Anybody else feel that way? Well, why don't you lift your hands and give him a praise right now? 
Why don't you lift your hands and say, I choose you all over again. Amen. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. But what I want you to notice, and this is the revelation that I've come to share with you, is what happens when we choose to open the door. That we are the ones that control. We control the door. But when we control the door, notice what happens. And to make this a little more easy to grasp, I think you should realize again that the Bible was not written divided into chapters and verses. You are aware of that. In fact, it was not in the present form divided into verses until the year 1551. That's how far back it was that the Bible was divided into chapters. And so going on 500 years ago, the Bible was divided into verses. And prior to that, it, it could be broken down into paragraphs in our current form is that it's chapters and verses, but the verses were put numbered in 1551 by an Italian printer. Now you say, what difference does that make? I'm going to tell you the difference it makes. It's when you read chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, you get the idea that John is having different encounters with God. And so you read chapter 1, okay, that's the first encounter. Chapter 2, he just had another one. Chapter 3 had another one. Chapter 4, another. And you are left with the understanding that it's not clear how much time lapsed between each encounter and the one that followed after it. That is not a correct understanding of Scripture. In the original text, it went straight on. From Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. So forth, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. It flows straight into Revelation 4 and 1. And after this, I saw a door standing open in heaven. Standing open. I want you to turn to somebody and say it was already standing open. You need to see that. I've looked back at the original language. I've read everything I can find on this. According to the commentators, the door did not open once we opened the door that we control. It was already open. Oh, you're not seeing it. I'm going to explain it to you. And so Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking and saying, if you will open your door then something is going to become obvious to you that you can't see right now because your door is closed and you're not seeing what's going on on the other side of the door that you need to open. Oh my. And so when they opened the door, John says there was a door already standing open. That is what is absolutely Amazing. And I want you to realize that what the voice, and this is the word of God for this service this morning, that I want to share with you the door to the throne room is already open. The door to the throne room is already open. 
I'm talking to some of you that are caught in circumstances and you're asking God to help you. And he's saying, if you will just make room for my presence, you're going to find out the door to your situation is already open. Somebody give God some praise for just a few minutes here. Oh, bless your name. Who am I talking to that needs a miracle? And you've been fasting and you've been praying and you're wondering if God hears you. And maybe what the Lord is actually saying is, seek my presence. And when you seek my presence, you're going to find the answer to your circumstance has already been waiting available for you. Oh my God, I feel the presence of the Lord in this place. But wait, wait, I got to unpack this just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Because where there is a lack of intimacy, there is a, a lack of an awareness of what happens in the presence of God. In the presence of God, things take place that you can't articulate reasons for when you're in the presence of God stuff happens just because you're in his presence Mm. when you get to heaven the thing that's going to make heaven heaven and I've said this before is not that there are no sirens in the middle of the night it's not that there are no hospitals, no cemeteries, no crosses on hillsides, no war, no death. That's not what makes heaven heaven. What makes heaven heaven is that he is there. And because he's there, those things cannot exist at the same time he is there. Mm. Are you getting what I'm talking about? We talk about streets are paved with gold, walls of jasper, gate made of solid pearl, 12 of them. And we talk about the splendors of a city with a river of life and a tree that bears fruit, 12 seasons out of the year and angels that cry, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God almighty. If they even tried to say anything else, they would still come out saying, holy, holy, because that is why they were created. Hallelujah. What makes heaven, heaven are not those things. It's that because he is there, those things exist. The word that I've come to bring you today is some of you need to stop just being worried about your miracle, your breakthrough. Your breakthrough has already occurred. The door is standing open. Oh, you didn't hear me. You're trying to say, God, I need a breakthrough. He's saying the door is open. The only thing standing is you need my presence. You need to have communion with me. Hallelujah. I want to illustrate this because somehow we have, we have created this understanding of God that I'm full of the Holy Spirit, 
But to feel his presence is something that only happens when I'm in the house of God or in prayer, in my prayer chamber. But the rest of the time, I got to do what I got to do to live. And I'm entirely sympathetic and I'm ending with this. I understand if you got kids to raise, (laughs) that's a full-time job. Uh, At least the ladies ought to say amen. Amen. And if you got grandkids, you see, I thought when the kids were gone that, that we were done. We weren't done. We were just getting started. We have seven grandkids. So we went from two kids to seven. We've got the seventh great grandchild on the way. It turns out that the horizon never gets any closer. And I'm loving every minute of it. Amen. I'm talking to somebody right now. You're wondering how with the burdens of life, everything you've got going on in your world, that you can maintain communion and live in the continual presence of God. But that is the objective. You don't have to be distracted. Brother Lawrence, in that remarkable little book, it's only a few pages long said that he reached a place in his personal devotions where when he was busy doing the task that he was required to do in the monastery, he was as much aware and in the presence of God doing those things as when he was in the chapel praying. Wow. That's the objective. To become as aware of God's presence when you're doing other stuff as you are when you're here on Sunday morning. And you're saying, come on, my soul. You've got a line inside of those. There should be an awareness of his presence that we work toward that transforms our life. You say, but wait, how? How? Now, I realize that it's a challenge, but, but I need a couple of people to come up here. Rashad, would you come? JJ, would you come too? I want to show you something. And um, Rashad, I want you to be the Lord, okay? And I'm going to be Peter. And JJ, you be Matthew, okay? I want you to call us to follow you, okay? Call us. Call us. Come on, okay, take off. We've got to be going somewhere. Okay, we're coming. Okay, I'm following. Now, I'm Peter. I was a fisherman. Stop. Can I go fishing for a few minutes? Okay, good. Do you think for one minute that I did forgot that he was with me? Oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Because we compartmentalize and think that because we're doing this, we can't also be doing that. But there is never a moment the disciples were with the Lord that they forgot that he was there regardless of what they were doing. Now then, J.J., Matthew, the tax collector, boo, 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 boo. 
Okay. Now, JJ, we're going to follow you. Take off. Okay. Now, JJ needs to take care of some accounting. Would you stop just a moment? Okay. Go ahead and take care of your accounting. Okay. Make the check big with lots of zeros. Okay. Did you for one minute forget that he was standing there? No. And that's the point. Thank you, guys, because I'm done. God is not calling us to have intimacy with him in church. He's not calling us to have intimacy with him in our devotions. He's calling us to have intimacy with him all the time. And when you have intimacy with him all the time, you have intimacy with him in worship. You have intimacy with him in your devotions. He's calling us to a lifestyle of pursuit. The pursuit of the presence of God. For when I wake up in the morning, you're the first thing on my mind, Lord. And when I go to bed at night, you're the last thought before I drift off to sleep. When I'm in the middle of my busiest day, I'm thinking about you, Lord. You're here with me. Why? Because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Some of us are trying to seek breakthroughs outside of the presence of God. And we go to church and we visit God on Sunday morning. And we wonder why nothing is happening. And God is calling us to a lifestyle of pursuing His presence. Because it is only then when this door is open that we see that one already is. Everything you need, that door is already open. Every breakthrough you're looking for, the door is already open. Every miracle you're seeking God for, the door is open. Every financial release that you're calling on God to provide, the door is open. That job you're seeking for, the door is open. Hello, somebody. That deliverance in your family, the door is open. That loved one that needs salvation, God is wanting you to open that door in intimacy because his door, the door to the throne room, is always open. Always. That so stunned me when I saw that. Because all of these years I've thought, God, if I can just get your attention and pray loud enough and fast long enough, I'll get my breakthrough. And he's saying, that's not really what I need. I want you to pray. I want you to fast. But what I'm really looking for is communion. Open the door and everything that you're seeking is already there. Would you stand with me?
Have I helped anybody this morning? Every head is bowed. Every eye closed. There are some of you that live with a longing and an ache on the inside. And nothing you've ever found has been able to satisfy it. Drugs, money, fame, fortune, earthly pleasure, material possessions. Because that longing is for what is on the other side of that door that is closed. And I could go into all kind of stuff about why we close the door. It could be wrong theology. It, it could be we've been hurt and keep the door closed because we want to protect our heart. It's so many things. Let's not worry about that. But while every head is bowed, who am I talking to that God's speaking to you right now? And saying, I'm standing at the door of your heart, knocking, open, open. I want to come in. Can I see your hand? You'll raise your hand and say, you're talking to me, Pastor. You're talking to me. I want, I want him inside. I want him inside. I want him inside. Hands all over the building. Father, I pray right now that you will teach us the preciousness of the abiding presence of God. Every person that raised their hand in this building that doesn't know you, save them. Every person watching online, come into their heart. As they surrender to you, we repent of our sins. Oh God, forgive us that we would ever get so wrapped up in other things that we would forget about what really matters the most anyway, which is you. Be our Savior. In Jesus' name. Let's have a party for a moment and welcome everybody that prayed that prayer. Come on. Somebody shout to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm done. But is there anybody here who is wanting to pursue after God? Come come right now. You're wanting to pursue that what I've said resonates with your heart in a way that you don't want to live a passionless Christian life anymore. You're a believer, you're saved, but uh-uh, no more days like that. No more days of being passionate about everything except Him. Uh-uh. Come, come. Amen. I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. Mm. Keep coming. Keep coming. I'm going to be out in the lobby in just a few minutes after we've prayed. I look forward to meeting all of our first-time attendees or anyone I haven't had a chance to meet yet. Now, this is a message for God chasers. This is a message for people that are passionate about God. This is a message for those who want to go beyond. This is a message for those who want to go deeper. 
Would you lift your hands with me? Father, I pray I pray for an awareness of your presence that will come into every heart the manifest presence of God the abiding presence of God I pray that Lord we will become so aware of you that in the little simple illustration that I gave just a moment ago that no matter what we're doing whether it's the work paying bills the job sports shopping this Christmas season I pray that we will have a constant continual appreciation and an awareness of who you are it just seems appropriate this Christmas season that that's what should take place because after all this is about Emmanuel God with us with us with us with me somebody say that with me and I really feel like God's giving me a word some of you God is going to suddenly show up in your life as you begin to move in his direction God is going to begin to visit you. I really feel like the Lord is saying, for some of you that are crying out, God is about to appear suddenly in his temple. You are the temple of God. And you'll never be the same once that happens. Never be the same. 